Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jan Price Show, and today my guests are producer, actor Gene Pope, and actress Roxy Pope, and we're going to be talking about their new film, King of Knives. Welcome to the show, Roxy and Gene. Thank nice you so much for having us. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is a fun movie. It really is. It's a fun movie, and I know that, um, well, this is a family affair, obviously. Uh, you play father and daughter in the movie, your father and daughter in real life. What was that like working together or had you worked together before? Either one well, of you can answer it. Roxy, what <laughs> you start? And then Roxy, I have to remember. Yeah. We're both like, uh, it's terrible. No, uh, go ahead, Dad. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it actually was um, an easy thing to do because um, we, yes, we had done some short films before. We had both taken simultaneous two-year conservatory acting courses back, back a few years ago go and and so we were very comfortable with the notion of, uh, you know, being able to, and, you know, plus we're kind of silly when we're together anyway, so, and irreverent and et cetera. And so, um, uh, when, when I was thinking of this movie, it's, I immediately, uh, when I was t- talking with Lindsay Joy, our, uh, you know, our screenwriter, she, she was, um, you know, we were both pointing towards Roxy as the, the perfect foil for this family because every family always has a foil and they have maybe a good child and stuff like that. And we wanted to sort of get into that dynamic and, have Roxy as the disruptor and um and that's how we kind of scripted it and um and then you know once we got on set it was like it really was we were used to it at that point and um so it really wasn't any kind of a, a blockage or anything we just kind of assumed our characters like we should and straight you know f- uh, full speed ahead perfect <laughs> yeah perfect Roxy Roxy what was it like for you is it was it um different or different you know were you, was it unusual to work with your dad in this film well or did you have a short hand oh it was it was actually it was really easy um I, I think it's also because like my dad said like we'd worked together before so we got that awkwardness out of our system whatever that would have been there is already gone so then when we got to the set we could perform more easily and more professionally um and it also you know we're i, I consider my dad one of my best friends so it's 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 great to be able to work with my dad and to be able to have a supportive parent who you know cares about uh, my performance and wanting to watch me succeed and if we could succeed together you know it became a really wonderful like incredible experience that I think is not able to be had more like most often with other people so I feel really lucky it was it was a really wonderful experience you know it comes through that you are close in the film and obviously your characters are in the film also but it there obviously Obviously, is a genuineness because you are father and daughter that, that definitely comes through. But the fact that you're close, because that doesn't necessarily always happen. Jean, just so mm-hmm. our our listeners know what this movie King of Knives is all about, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, I can definitely tell you what it not, it isn't, and it's not a slasher film, just because you could. <laughs> um, the the, <laughs> the name King of Knives uh, basically came from uh, Lindsay Joy. Um, who basically the script showed up. We were going through iterations of the script and we just had a, uh, a rough title for it. And then all of a sudden it showed up one day and it said King of Nine. And I went, now what is that? Oh, I see what that means. And I went, oh, this is brilliant. And so what basically what it was based on was there's a tarot card uh, sequence in the movie. And uh, of course, one of the tarot cards is King of Swords. Right. So what Lindsay, Lindsay was doing was riffing off the tarot card uh, idea and uh, basically changed it to King of Knives. And the point of it, which I think is wonderful, 
people is that this character, Frank, is having his midlife crisis and, and the point of the film is that if you, whether you're going through a quarter-life crisis or a midlife crisis uh, or it's all happening in the family at once, uh, basically, in, in Frank's cases, you start to play with knives a little bit. You know, things that you, you normally would shy away from. Maybe you don't shy away from because you're trying to prove something to the world or yourself or your who knows what. And the problem is the harder you play with knives, the more likely, um, you know, you might get hurt. And, uh, and that's, and so Frank was basically uh, knighted as the king of knives and that's how it stuck. And, and that's what it really is all about. It's a, the movie takes place over three days. Um, and basically within three days, this, um, uh, New York family, uh, basically, um, you know, a privileged family. And, and basically it shows how Frank is kind of peaking his midlife crisis and things are starting to happen to him and things are starting to fall. And, um, and the family is, is because of something that they're approaching, which is an anniversary of a kind of a tragedy in their family. They are kind of all going off in different spirals and directions of their own making. And each one is different. And, and yet at the end of the three days, um, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a bit of humor in the, in the film because, um, it, it isn't just a, you know, a serious drama. It's like boo hoo hoo and all that. I mean, some people do shed a tear for sure. And that's the point. But, but basically, uh, it's kind of funny watching this family kind of descend into its own form of chaos. And then at the end of the, the three days, um, they, I think that they come to realize that, uh, there's more going on alike with with themselves than they know. Definitely. Definitely. There there definitely is. So you are the producer of this gene as well as the star, but you also the story was something that you worked with with Lindsay Joy. So did you come up with the concept and then Lindsay write the screenplay? How did that collaboration work? Well, you know, it's like a lot of collaborations. And, you know, when I've, uh, I've heard so many stories of people that have collaborated like us, where it's kind of like one approached the other, or one has been watching the work of the other. And I had worked with Lindsay in the past. Uh, she's uh, a very good actress as well. And she, but she's a prolific uh, playwright and uh, has won numerous awards. And so it was kind of like as I was mulling over the idea of trying to do this film, I said, well, let me let me approach Lindsay and see what she thinks about this, because, boy, I love the way that she kicks the chairs out from under the audience and the way that she handles dialogue. And so it was with that idea that I went to her and I said, hey, <laughs> any chance you want to make this your first feature length script? And um, she thought about it and she went, yeah. And that's what kind of started it. And we basically spent many, many, many nights closing out restaurants, literally brainstorming about this. And, and what excited her, I mean, for me, it was definitely uh, trying to explore some things that I had gone, had gone on in my life earlier. And I watched other people my age going through the similar things. And I thought, so I thought it would be a very relevant story. And at the same time, uh, as Lindsay said to me in our first meeting, she says, yeah, but I want to do this because I want to learn more about my dad because he went through stuff like this and I want to explore that. And that's basically where the premise started. You know, it, it, it's interesting because there, you know, there have, it, you do, you're right. The way this film is done, it's, it, it, 
it's at it's many levels, but it's fun. To, it's sort of interesting to watch your character Frank sort of disintegrate, you know, and, and spiral um, during these three days. But as you're right, the whole family is going through this together in their own separate ways, and and all come out of it completely different and learning a whole lot from it. Roxy, for you, uh, what was it like for you to play this character? Because she is she's the instigator for sure in this family. <laughs> And and seems to be the only one that has, um, in a way, uh, her transformation is a little less because she's more stable than the rest. It's almost like she's the eyes watching this unfold in a way. Even though she has you know things going on for herself, it's not to the extent of her sister and her mother and her father. So how how is that for you to sort of be? Uh, to me, it looks like it's for me when I watched it. You were the you were the eyes observing it all. I love that. Um, I it was it's really interesting because what I I think I can most I can talk about more comfortably is the idea that as an actor, um, it's I find it so much easier to play people who are not me. And because Caitlin was based off a younger version of me, it allowed me to understand her better. But it also made it more difficult to show that vulnerability, right? Of like closer to the chest of who I am or who I was. Um, and but the cast was so ridiculously talented. Um, that it allowed for that vulnerability to come out, right? And have created this great chemistry and trust to be able to take chances and to um, be more of a, a button pusher. And I think um, it was harder to, it's easier to play a character that's watching everyone, right? Because you can throw all the judgment. But I also think that, yeah, there were those beautiful moments that I really enjoyed of where she was actually having her, her, her sorry, excuse my language, but her ass was handed to her um, uh-huh. <laughs> a couple of times. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was, it, it is really interesting to play a character that's kind of like ahead of the curve um, mm-hmm. to be like, we're not dealing with things in our life that we need to be dealing with. We're not dealing with this anniversary that's coming up and we need to. Um, and I, and I hope um, that there was enough change in Caitlin to be like maybe I should also change my ways like I hope it's not like her at the end of the day being like well I can continue living by getting you know really drunk and doing a bunch of drugs for the rest of my life like because she's that hypocrite in a way right where she's like oh yeah I absolutely understand what's going on and I'm I'm truthful I'm speaking my truth I'm expressing myself when in fact she's not she's she's doing the complete opposite she's running away and I Mm -hmm. hope yeah I think it it is interesting to watch everyone else explode around her and be like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. So we're all we are all like awesome. Um, yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think that is interesting. I've never I've never thought of it like that. Like she wasn't actually the one that exploded, or her life turned around as drastically as everybody else's. No, it, but it but it does change. I mean, it is. It's like, it's you know, and it, yeah, I, I mean, because that's what the movies should be about, change. I write up characters who grow and change. Not all, not all of the time, though, because sometimes the movies, they don't want that to happen. You know, it's like the characters stay the same. Um, okay, there's a number of things I want to ask, but what, let me, before I go too far, Mel Harris, the wonderful Mel Harris plays your wife, Jean. How did, and I, She's just, everybody who's ever watched 30-something remembers Mel Harris, and she's been, you know, she's always been a wonderful actress. How did you attract her to this project to play your wife? Well, it's a great question uh, and a great story, because what, um, in the end, in the end, I I am, was extremely flattered that she wanted to be in this movie. Uh, And it was a pleasure, I say right up front, it was an unbelievable pleasure working with her. And, um, you know, she's a consummate pro. And extremely talented and uh, is, at the same time, though, is great to work with on set. Everybody was great to work with. 
But mm-hmm. what happened was um, we put a wide net out for somebody that I was, you know, I was kind of thinking of someone who has, you know, let's say aged gracefully or not or whatever, who is someone who is sort of, you know, a, a, an icon uh, back a number of years, uh, but at the same time has now lived a full life, but still has that rich, richness of the character that they had back when. Um, I mean, that never really leaves you. And it, it, to me, it only mm-hmm. grows. And, and that's basically, and that was exactly what happened is that, uh, so we spread a wide net out through the agents and all through the casting director. And, um, and darned if when it came to casting, and we had like two weeks of eight hours a day for initial casting alone. That does not even include the uh, callback. So I was there every day, but I was just sitting in the background, watching, observing. Uh, and uh, darned if the first, day we were casting Kathy, the first slot, Mel was there. And she walked in and her first words were, she turned around and she said, this is a great script. (laughs) And and so obviously it boiled down to just a few people and um, it came time for callbacks and guess who was there for the first slot? (laughs) Mel. Uh And then she walked in the door, and I, at that point, nobody was, it, it was a given that I would not announce that I was playing Frank until callback. So she walks in, I stood up and said, hello, Mel, and I'm Jean Pope, and I'm going to be playing Frank with you today. And she goes, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, you better believe she did her research before, otherwise she would not have come into this project wow. at all and um and she did and then we we had just it was just incredible you know doing because we were improving at the same time we were doing the written part of the scene because it's that kind of a scene and um and that's how it started and then we we you know we, we had several candidates and we you know john delgado the director and i agreed but it's like yeah uh mel is the one to do this it makes perfect sense because you know when you're putting together a family also you know it's like everything has to be balanced it has to be plausible or even sometimes counter plausible but it has to be something that 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 works as a unit and so uh, before we could confirm mel we had to also see so who are going to be the kids here uh and and how does that fit with the other supporting parts the characters of their life and then it just all fell together and it was like mel's it Well, you have some wonderful on-screen chemistry with her. You you really do. And especially, um, yeah, there, I, I don't want to give anything away to the audience, to be honest with you, because there's some money, you know, wonderful little poignant, towards the end, a very poignant scene with the both of you and, and, and well yeah. done, very well done. And Emily Bennett plays your other daughter, uh, Roxy. And you are, you know, your most of your scenes seem to be with, well, with your dad also, but with Emily Bennett. So t- what, tell us a little bit about her and working with her, Roxy. Oh my God. I, I love her. Um, she was, it was, I'll, I'll start at the audition process. That was so wonderful of an experience, right? Um, it was the first time as an actor that I like watched in the room, right? You're so nervous. You want to get the part. I also have my dad in the room and like, you want, I want to look good for him. Um, and you're just nervous. And it was the first time you ever feel 
like someone's rooting for you in the room um, because you so just it wasn't automatic. Me, no, Excuse me a minute. I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for a second before you go. So it wasn't sure. automatic that you were going to get this part right away. You had to audition and go through the whole process also. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I actually had to audition more than anybody else in the cast. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. I, all right. I just assumed because your dad was your dad and you just got the part, although you're a very good actress. I mean, you got it because you had, you. you had to go through the process. You're welcome. You had to go through the <laughs> process. Okay. So now, now tell us about that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. You, oh yeah. I wanted to clarify that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that was, that was actually, um, one of the, I'm, I'm very glad. I'm actually very, very thankful. I wasn't just given this. I wanted to make sure that I was, uh, proving that I can, I could do this. It wasn't just mm-hmm. um, handed to me. Um, John actually didn't like me at first and completely understandable. Uh, I look like the girl next door. I have like Joe eyes, um, like big brown eyes that don't look like, um, the smart witted, like button pushers of Caitlin. So, uh, yeah, of course I, it was going to take a, a little bit more effort to, to show that I could do this. Um, and thanks to John for taking a chance on me. I got to do it. John Delgado, but, um, the director. John, John Delgado. Right. So we yeah. have, everybody knows John Delgado's the director. Go on. Um, and so when I was in the audition process, in the audition room, uh, we got the callbacks and Emily Bennett was the only person who came in to read for Sadie that not only just nailed the audition, I mean, just lit up the room, just understood every moment. But at the end of the, the reading of the, the scene, they actually asked us to take a photo together um, as a way to see if we would look alike, right? As my dad was talking about earlier, like a family has to kind of look alike enough, mm-hmm. um, has mm-hmm. to be sellable. And she was the only one who actually put her arm around me and was like, come here, sister. And when you're so nervous in the room and somebody reaches out and does that, not only is it just like a kind gesture, but it's also, it was such a sister thing to do that it, that was the moment that I knew she was going to get the role. And then mm. getting to play with her on set and in rehearsal, because we were also very lucky in our process and in our scheduling of the film that we were allowed two weeks of rehearsal time with cast members before we actually started shooting. And I... Emily knows her stuff and she is also probably one of the most passionate people I've ever met about filmmaking and the whole process in general. So getting to hear her talk about like, or watch, hearing her dissect, um, Sadie's character was so fascinating and wonderful to hear. And then getting to play with her and to perform with her uh, was just another gift in, in itself. It was, it was, it just, there's just so much chemistry. She just brings so much to the table. Yeah. Well, the, again, the chemistry between the two and the way you play together um, was very sisterly. <laughs> very real. <laughs> very real. It put a big smile on my face uh, to see some of the dailies and the scenes of them. <clears throat> and of course, some of the scenes were like, you know, I was sort of like out of commission in the scenes, shall we say, but they were going yeah. at it behind mm-hmm. me. Um, I, um, I'm sitting there in my whacked out position and I'm going, wow, these guys are mm-hmm. slammed out of the park. It's <laughs> just mm-hmm. so uh, relatable and natural sounding. And it's just, you know, so there were a lot of moments like that where I was near a scene or something. I was listening to it, uh, getting ready to enter and I'm listening to it and it's like, wow, this is just amazing is the chemistry is so good and it's so hard to make that happen sometimes you know yes it is hard to make that happen um you know it's either hopefully it's either there it's not although you do actresses who look like they have this great on-screen chemistry and then you find out later on they could stand each other (laughs) oh right (laughs) and you go like really what seems look so real and they hated each other (laughs) 
drugs what was it molly or something molly yeah yeah so that you know tell us a little because you know that was very realistic when you were going through that i'm assuming i don't know i've never tried molly um but it looks pretty realistic so did you have some like a drug advisor to come on the set to tell you what it would be like if you were on molly or i mean pot we can know most people have probably tried pot at one time or another in their lives but uh molly is a little different so talk about that a little bit. Well, it's, it's really, um, you know, one of the things that you learn in, you know, the better acting schools, you know, if you're taking a full two-year program and um, and one of, you, one of the things you, one of the basic courses is is, is dealing with, um, uh, Roxy, what's the word there I'm thinking of? It's like I'm, it's suddenly stuck in my head, but it's basically if you're at all impeded, impediment, thank you, there you go. Impediment. Uh, it's impe- yeah. Impediments of all kinds. So impediment can be alcohol and impediment can me uh, a broken leg. Uh, an impediment can be being on Molly. And <clears throat> basically, uh, what we always learned uh, in, in these classes was to, if you want to know how to, to create a character that is on something or has an impediment, research. It's simple research. And um, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone on the set to coach you on it if you've done your homework. And so I would say it's safe to assume that I did a lot of homework about Molly uh, because, no, I've never taken it. Um, pot? Well, yeah, you know, when I was younger, hey, you know, <laughs> no problem there. But yeah, yeah. It's kind of acceptable now. So, you know. Yeah, um, But it's, as far it's as legal in most states now. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and uh, but you know Molly was like a, an interesting question for me, <clears throat> and it actually isn't um, the easiest thing to research because if you if you can look at videos of people on Molly and you go hmm that's mm, that's not telling me a whole heck of a lot. So basically, I started talking to people that have taken Molly, and um, similar to Pot, um, it's there are different people react differently to Molly, and, and there's a couple of things that are commonplace, and uh, and uh, you know it's kind of liberating, and so it, it was basically just rolling that all up into one plus a chaser of quite a lot of booze in the case of the party uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you, and you're talking you're you're impeded <laughs> your, your thought press process gyrates and it goes from one extreme to the other but the main thing though the main point of that party scene was the showing Frank, maybe for the first time in his life, letting go as if he were a kid again. I mean, really letting mm-hmm. go. It was mm-hmm. there was nothing holding him back. You know, he goes over to the bartender character and like, you know, holds his, his face in his hands. And it's like, I don't think he would do that if he wasn't on that kind of stuff. And and that's the point. That was the right. whole motivation right. behind that. Yeah, it's not it's not to be shocking or anything like that. The, no, the drug no, use in the movie all. is kind of like, you know, this is how it goes. And it's New York City. And it's like, you know, come on. Um, yeah. And and at the same time, it's revealing as to see someone who you wouldn't think, you know, think is too old for that stuff, um, you know, saying, no, I want to try it and see what happens. And I think that because I think it registers in people's minds too, my age especially, where you go, eh, you know, I always wondered what that would be like, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think it's part of his, you know, his midlife crisis, you know, too. He's, you know, I think part of what a midlife crisis is about for, and I'm sure it's the same for men and women, because women have them too, you know, is that there's a certain point when you go, I'm no longer, you know, I'm closer to death than I am to my college years, you know, kind <laughs> of thing. I think, I don't know if I, that was in the movie or somewhere else, but I just heard that. But that you start to think about your youth and your, it's, it's going, it's leaving, you know, and you're going into another phase in your life. So people are trying to recapture it. So using the drugs in a way with re- trying to recapture a little bit of that youth. And unfortunately, we are out of time, but this has been, it's a fun movie. I mean, an interesting movie. It's well done. I highly recommend people find King of Knives. It's out now. It's out on most uh, digital platforms at this point yes. in time that people can yes. find it. So uh, please look for King of Knives. Uh, it, 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 you'll, you'll definitely enjoy it, especially if you know somebody who might be going through a midlife crisis for sure. <laughs> so thank you Aren't both for being on the show. It's been a joy, Dean and Roxy, to have you on the show. It's Such a pleasure so here much. as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for having us. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. You can listen to The Jam Price Show whenever and wherever at thejampriceshow.com or all my shows are archived or the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at The Jam Price Show, and on Facebook, The Jam Price Show. Thank you for listening. Jam Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jam Price Show, all about movies. 